Lord Huron on KRCL 90.9. That's mine forever. And starting us off, My Rights versus Yours, the new pornographers off their Challengers album. Ahead of that, eBay wrapping up another great afternoon drive. I'm Laura Jones, and welcome to Radioactive, a show that plugs you into your community with conversation and a playlist to match. Coming up this hour... You may have felt the cooler temperatures today. Well, that signals something for gardeners and people who love their fruit trees to watch out for, especially in higher mountain valleys. We'll talk with Katie Wagner of Salt Lake County's Extension Office about what that means and what you can do to perhaps save some of your garden and protect your fruit trees. But we're going to start tonight with Catherine Weller of the League of Women Voters of Utah, Summer months are when the legislature meets in something called interim committees. Our partners at the League of Women Voters of Utah and Salt Lake keep us up to date on the people's business. Joining me now to talk about some of the happenings at the People's House, we've got Catherine Weller from the League of Women Voters of Utah. Hey, Catherine, how's your summer been? Hey, Laura, it's it's been really hot until now. (laughs) I know, just two more days to fall. Wednesday is the first official day of fall. So let's talk about what lawmakers have been up to over interim committees in the summer. Maybe we should just start with the general reminder of how interim works and why it's important to keep an eye on it. That's a great idea. And um, so in the legislature, we're all familiar with their general session. It's those 45 days that everybody talks about that runs from January to March. Uh, The legislature meets throughout the year in what they call interim sessions. And those committee hearings occur in the third week of most months. And they're important because in them, one can get an idea of what issues legislators are considering and see the beginning language of bills. Bills can be drafted in interim sessions and um, bill files can be opened in interim sessions. So it's it's really a very important time because you start to get the zeitgeist of what's going to be happening in those 45 really hectic days in winter. So for grassroots activists who are thinking, I need to be ready to start in January, you need to rethink your game. It's really year-round, and you need to be working with your lawmakers throughout interim session to prepare for something, uh, for action in that 45-day session starting in January. Absolutely. In fact, I uh, just anything can happen in any interim month, but uh, a general rule is the most important interim meetings are held in October and November. That's when they really start pushing through the committee bills that they've written, so those bill files that have been opened. And it's where they start talking about things like the budget. The other important month is the one that's right after the general session, because you can start to hear them beginning to analyze what they're going to be working on through interim. So you'll know those issues and um, you get a sense of how they felt about that session and what they're going to do differently with the next session. Now, in those interim session meetings, whenever they happen, just like in the general year, you can go online and see what the agenda is. You can see the documents they'll be talking about or using and referencing in their hearings. And you can testify to the issues they're discussing. So 
I have used that tired metaphor before the sausage. This is where the sausage, this is where the meat is ground for the sausage folks. So if you want to affect what goes into the grinder, this is where you start. It's in these interim hearings. All right. So the general session is in January, but interim has been going on and the league has different committees and folks following things, right? That's one way to get involved. Yes, yes, absolutely. You can um, touch base with the league and attend our meetings and check in with our website as well. Uh, Our website isn't quite as dynamic during interim as it is during the general session when we've got a bill tracker up et cetera, et cetera. But we also talk with you during interim, Laura, here on KRCL and give our reports there. Um, The committees, one thing to note is the interim committees are combined committees. So it is the House, members of the House and the Senate meeting together on a particular topic, if you will. So I watch governmental operations. And in the general session, there's a House set of hearings and a Senate set of hearings. But in interim, the members of the committees come together and it's one meeting. And it so it really is where they hash things out. Great. And of course, le.utah.gov is where you can go and see the calendar, get the meetings list and links to agenda items and supplemental materials. Not to mention these meetings they have during interim, just like general session, are recorded And you can go back and listen to something that you're interested in, hear what was actually said versus perhaps what was reported or or what someone told you. Absolutely. It is also where you can get a link to attend hearings live. Now, the Capitol building is open at this this moment, and you can go in and attend hearings in person if you'd like, but you can attend them virtually as they are happening rather than just listening or to a recording later or listening while it's happening. And they've done There's, this all along. That's not just COVID uh, protocols. Um, COVID, pro- what's different now is that you can testify virtually, and that started during COVID protocols. So there is a special link you use for that so that they have your identity and you can raise your hand as they're talking. And then when it's time for public comment, you can comment from your house if you are unable to get out or you feel unsafe getting out. So general reminder about how interim works. And you did say that October and November are critical months to keep an eye on the people's business because these are the uh, lead up to the general session in January. And you can start to see where they want to spend the money, right? So what should we, what committees would be most interesting to watch in October and November? Well, of course, that depends upon what issue floats your boat, right? Or what you are an activist for in your community. I will say in general right now, there's a, there are many, um, criminal justice reforms issues being discussed uh, among them, things like they're trying to get together a group to support abolition of the death penalty again. There are some sentencing reforms they're looking at and they're re-examining cash bail uh, provisions. As you remember, that was something that was abolished and then brought back. So criminal justice is important. Health and human services is important if you care about things like Medicaid, Medicare, services to individuals in need in the community. My committee, Government Ops, is great if you're looking at voting. And there will be some voting bills coming up and some general things about privacy uh, that will be percolating through in October and November. 
And of course, there is executive appropriations and the revenue tax committees. That's budget. That's money. Yes, it is all about the money, honey. And there's money this year. These are important because there is money. What? We've had COVID for two years. There can't be more money, but there is. There is. Tax revenue from last year was $3 billion. That's B with a like boy. That's a lot $3 more. $3 higher than expected. So there is a big surplus. And um, they are... Of course, talking about their rainy day fund, because they took money out of it, so they're going to want to put money back into it. But this is an opportunity for some possible one-time funding allocations or looking at funding things that need to be funded and helping helping legislators understand that investing in the community, investing in programs is investing in the state. It's investing in us all. And this happens in appropriations and in the revenue and taxation committees. So those are really important. And if you care about that stuff, listen to it. Well, they've got lots of issues on their plate. There's homelessness, affordable housing that uh, takes a lot of, of money to address. And the Tribune has a story posted today with data about officer-involved shootings and racial breakdowns. That's going to add some pressure to throw some money at police reform and uh, training and education and outreach. Um, It's going to be interesting because also the Inland Port is starting to move toward wanting to um, use their incremental tax financing that they have, and uh, they could maybe get out of a hot seat with Salt Lake City if the state gave them the money instead. So I'm interested to see what happens. And in interim, you can kind of start to suss out the behind-the-scenes players, I'm guessing. Yes, absolutely you can. You can see who's testifying to bills, who's presenting them, and where the support is and where the support isn't for a bill. And all of those are very important. So what are you keeping an eye on, or the league, I should say, in terms of... (laughs) budget priorities we um we are looking very closely at the inland port we have a member who mostly monitors the inland port so she doesn't watch one committee she follows the port wow and she follows the money um because that's pretty huge especially for those of us here in salt lake county and davis county um a reminder the inland port isn't just a salt lake issue it never was it's going to impact davis county and Tooele counties very heavily now that they've moved to this um hub and spoke kind of model it will affect many counties throughout um the state environmentally um financially the hits are probably in salt lake county As we record this, it's a few hours prior to a meeting this afternoon by the Utah Inland Port Authority Board, where they're considering a special taxing district to make the money possible to bond for a transloading facility. And, of course, this won't air until after that happens. So we hope to have an update tomorrow on the show on what's happening there. And perhaps we could ask your committee member who's following that to join us. I will reach out to her and find out if she will do that, because that would be great. This is this is huge. And they already have a special taxing uh, authority and increment. (laughs) So (laughs) they've got a couple of taxing authorities already and they're going for gold here. All right. So the budget with that much 
<clears throat> excess revenue in play. I'm curious uh, to watch this and follow this. I mean, we've had wildfire fighting expenses. Um, we've got grants, federal grants from COVID. Maybe that's where it's coming from. And so watching the buddy, budget committee uh, is where we learn how the people's money is spent or will be spent. So it's very important to follow that. And you, of course, have you're the person that sounds like that follows that with the league, Catherine. Um, I am a person who follows it on a macro level. I have people who follow it much more deeply than I do, who uh, we all share this information with each other at our legislative lunches, which these days occur on Zoom um, on Thursdays, the week of interim from 1130 to about 130 or two. If you're interested in joining that uh, luncheon, please reach out to me at Catherine at lwvutah.org, and I will get you in touch with our Legislative Action Committee chairs. So the legislature meets in October for interim. What week should we be looking at? I mean, they say it's the third week, but I see things, you know, the second, the fourth, but the majority happens in that third week, Catherine. Yes, that's correct. So the majority of the action will be happening beginning October 18th, really October 19th. That's when the appropriations committees will be meeting. And then the interim committees will be meeting the following day on Wednesday, the 20th. All of this talk of making laws and sausage brings to mind redistricting, Catherine. And I know the League of Women Voters of Utah and all your branches across the state are watching quite closely the redistricting process. There are two parallel processes happening, and we're going to dig into it in some future shows. But any advice you want to give folks about uh, getting involved or drawing a map of community interest? Yes. Yeah, so it, it is important to note that there are two tracks running right now. There is the Independent Redistricting Commission. Those are the people who are doing redistricting because of Prop 4. That is the committee enabled by the people to redraw lines, hopefully in an impartial manner, because, as I've said before, and many people before me, People should determine their politicians and not the other way around. Um, so this is trying to get active legislators out of the process. At the same time right now, the Legislative Redistricting Committee is running. That is the committee of legislators in the state who will be drawing their own maps and making the final decisions about how redistricting will happen in the state because of the Constitution. They are the ones with the ultimate power. I would say right now, because the people empowered the Independent Redistricting Commission, it is important to interact with them. Tell them how you feel. Draw a map of community interest. Send them a message telling them how you feel about your districts right now. You can do that um, with a great tool for communities of interest called Redistrictor. Um, it's a really easy, wonderful way to get a community of interest map going. You can interact with the Independent Redistricting Commission at uirc.utah.gov. And if they want to interact with the committee, the legislators, they can go to redistricting.utah.gov. Both of these under the .gov uh, domain because 
voters who approved the independent redistricting commission that then allocated money by the state that then um, there's a whole appointing of the board and everything. We've done some shows on that, folks. We'll put links in our show notes to these two different processes. But please do understand they are two different processes. And it's going to be interesting to see how it's reconciled, Catherine. Oh, it is. And that will be a very important part of the process at the end. But right now, it is so important to interact with the commission because they are our representatives into that process. They are the people we asked for when we voted for Proposition 4. You know, that's an interesting conflict because also the the legislators would say, well, we're the people's representatives duly elected. And this is the conflict that we're talking about. Catherine, thanks so much for giving us some time. What's the website one more time for the League of Women Voters of Utah? LWVUtah.org. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything that the League does. Thank you so much, Laura. We appreciate you helping us get word out to the people. Do you have a song that you might want to dedicate for uh, interim or making sausage? Let's just use People Have the Power by Patti Smith. All right. From Catherine Weller to you out there. People Have the Power on KRCL 90.9. Thanks for listening to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up at 7, Democracy Now! Brian Kelm with Red, White, and Blues at 8. Michelle's Night Train at 10.30, and John Florence at 6 a.m. with your brand new day. I want to hear your ideas for Radioactive and a song to match the idea. Call me at 385-800-1889 and leave me a voicemail with your Radioactive idea. Do it today, folks. New census data is out, and it's that once-in-a-decade time to redraw political boundaries. Find interactive tools and a schedule of public hearings online at uirc.utah.gov. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. Five nights a week, 6 to 7 p.m., we plug you into your community with conversations and a playlist to match. We already talked about the people's business. Now let's get into the garden. You may have noticed cooler temperatures and high mountain valleys. You might have a hard freeze tonight, according to the National Weather Service. You might want to be bringing in your tomatoes, everything that you think you can protect. Well, what does that mean? And what about my fruit trees? I phoned up Katie Wagner of the Salt Lake County Extension Office to find out more. My name is Katie Wagner. I am horticulture faculty with USU Extension in Salt Lake County, Utah. Cooler temperatures today. It feels like we were just at upper 90s not so long ago, Katie. And now the National Weather Service is saying that high mountain valleys can expect a hard freeze. This is not good news for gardeners, let alone people who love their landscapes. Yeah, it's tough sometimes being in those higher elevation areas because these early frosts can sneak in. And unfortunately, that means for some of our tender and very tender garden veggies. It's kind of the end of the season for those. So what constitutes a frost? What temperature are we talking about at night? Well, when we get down into, you know, the freezing temperature ranges, the the 32 kind of a range, that's when we can definitely start to expect to see some frost injury on some of those types of plants. There is a bit of variability there, but um, anything around that temperature range is the plants are at risk. So what are my options? Yeah, so, you know, for stuff that's very tender, so we're talking cantaloupe, eggplants, lima beans, um, sweet hot peppers, pumpkins, tomatoes, watermelon, winter squash, 
Um, you can try to cover them. Actually, one of the best things to cover them with, with is like a blanket. If you just have an old blanket, you can you can cover those. Um, but you're still kind of risking it. You may very well still see some frost injury <laughs> on those plants. But uh, it certainly is if you're especially if it's if you're not expecting to get down uh, too far down into the low 30s or high 20s, then it might be worth it to try to get those covered up and just see if you can't squeeze out a little bit more growing season out of them. Well, my tomato plants are about as tall as I am these days. So what is it important I cover? Is it the roots, the down at the base where, you know, the stalk meets the ground or the whole darn thing? You're going to see the frost injury first on the tips of the leaves. And so definitely getting anything that's kind of more exposed, covered is, is probably the most important. But again, if that temperature just gets down far enough that there's going to be no saving that plant and that plant will die down to the root system. So, so should I pick everything that's green and bring it inside and hope it ripens on the bench? Yeah, you can do that. So for example, with tomatoes, uh, typically if it is starting to color at all, if the fruit is starting to color at all, it will continue to color um, indoors. You just want to keep it in a cool, um, dry place somewhere has really good air circulation and, um, and the fruit will continue to ripen. It's not necessarily going to unfortunately have that uh, garden tomato taste, <laughs> uh, but you can get some nice color out of it. People like to cook with green tomatoes too. I love to cook with green tomatoes. And so even if the fruit hasn't started to color at all, you can pick those green tomatoes and you can cook with those as well. So fried green really tomatoes, just, you, salsas, soups. Yeah. You know what I do with green tomatoes actually is I love to make BLTs. Ah. And so I fry the tomatoes a little bit and I put them on with, you know, my favorite BLT or my favorite uh, veggie sandwich toppings, and and they're delicious that way. What can make it through an, an early frost? Yeah, so some of the things that can tolerate a light frost, um, I, I probably wouldn't expect to see too much frost damage, if any, on um, with the kind of temperatures that we're looking at um, in the next couple days. So um, artichoke, asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kohlrabi, things in the Brassica family. Um, onions, peas, radish, rhubarb, uh, spinach, and turnip are all considered to be um, hardy. And so they will tolerate a light frost. Also some things like beets and carrots, cauliflower, endive, lettuce, parsley, parsnip, potato, salsify, and Swiss chard are probably going to be okay. So if you do have limited coverings available, then I would prioritize some of those other types of garden veggies to see if you can't get them protected and get them through the next couple of days. You know, we're having such hot temperatures so early and then we're having these surprise frosts. Or it feels like a surprise to me considering we weren't, um, it's just today that it's felt really cool. Right. But you at the extension have written about this. In fact, in your summer Utah pests quarterly, there was a great article breaking down what happened a year ago. This is what worries me, um, to be honest with you. I, you know, Vegetable gardens are just kind of one of those things we take a roll of dice on. And of course, we want as long of a growing season as possible. But we all know that early fall frost sneak in. And, and that's, you know, for some of these types of plants, it's, it's kind of it's the end of the road for them. What I worry about, though, is when we have these sort of temperature swings. Um, this one isn't as bad as what we experienced last year. I hope we don't have one like we did last year again this year, but when we uh, are experiencing nighttime lows in the 40s, 50s, and then we go well below the freezing mark, um, it takes a certain amount of time for uh, different types of plants to start to kind of prepare themselves for the dormant season. And it's kind of a slow process. They, they really do best if they kind of ease slowly into those cooler nighttime temperatures. 
So when we start to see dramatic swings in temperature, it can be really, really tough on plants that aren't fully um, hardened off, that aren't, aren't haven't prepared themselves adequately for those cold wintertime temperatures. Uh, what happened last year, and I'll make this brief, but in October, kind of late October, uh, we went from being in the 40s, 50s at night down to, in some areas, 16, 17, 18 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. So that, that temperature uh, change happened in a matter of hours. And certain species of plant, in particular, walnuts and apple is apple trees is what we saw a lot of injury on. And, and at times, the entire tree was, was killed because of that one period. And so... Um, that's what I sort of worry about a little bit when I get some of these dramatic temperature swings because, um, you know, our garden, garden plants are, you know, who knows? We want to get as long of a growing season as we can, but it is what it is. But some of these plants that we have a long-term investment in in the landscape um, can get impacted by those sorts of things too. So our fruit trees are something we want to look at, especially for when they're those higher mountain valleys that are expecting cold temps tonight. And folks, we'll put a link in the show notes. Of course, you can also lick your finger, go outside and see what that feels like um, and decide what you need to do for your garden or your landscape. Um, and I'll put a link to the report that you're talking about from the summer newsletter. There are some tips in that newsletter that I wanted to be able to share with our listeners, though. Yeah, there are some things that you can think about doing um, that can prepare, for example, some of those uh, some of those trees or shrubs that might be a little bit more vulnerable one is not fertilizing them too late um, is one thing you can do. Avoiding pruning in the fall time is uh, a good practice. Um, pruning actually stimulates growth. And so you don't really want to be stimulating growth this time of year. You want to kind of let plants think about slipping into dormancy. Oh, this is one that I really worry about this year too. We have had such a dry, um, well, last fall, last winter, this spring, all through the summer, it's been dry, dry, dry. Um, so one tip that gardeners definitely, I think, need to exercise is to make sure before you blow out your sprinkler systems, you turn things off, turn things down, that your plants go into uh, the dormant period uh, well hydrated, well irrigated. Um, those types of temperature shifts are certainly a stress on plants and uh, drought stress is an additional stress. And so those are going to be some of the most vulnerable. There are drought stressed plants are going to be some, some of the most vulnerable, vulnerable for injury from these sorts of events. Um, and then just, you know, planting good plant choices, um, things that uh, are well adapted to growing in our climate and our areas um, is another great tip for gardeners as well. So just as in the spring, when you get those uh, seedlings and you've got to harden them off, gradually get them outdoors, the same thing happens in reverse as plants go into dormancy here, dormancy here in the fall. And it's something we need to be mindful of and watch the temperatures, Katie. I guess we all have to cross our fingers and hope that <laughs> we do slip into fall and winter nice and slow and easy. Um, but those are some of the things if, and a lot of times what we were definitely seeing this year um, was that we saw a lot of these injuries poking up this summer season and people were wondering what was happening. And, and I think that some of that, not all of it, but some of that was a result of the, of the dry soil conditions and that drastic temperature drop that we experienced last fall. Last fall. So we got to keep an eye on it and look look backward and forward at the same time. Man, that's a lot to do as a gardener or someone who really loves a healthy landscape around their house. Thanks so much, Katie. What's the website where people can catch up with the extension and all the great tips you guys offer? Yeah, so we have a couple of really good ones. One is garden.usu.edu. That's a nice, easy one. Um, and then for pest 
control and some of these advisories like we were talking about today, uh, utahpest.usu.edu. Thank you, Katie. We'll put all those links in tonight's show notes, including that Utah Pest's quarterly newsletter that has all those tips on what you can do to protect especially your fruit trees. In the meantime, good luck, gardeners. I've got some more music for you before I get on out of here. This is The Who. I can see for miles on KRCL 90.9.